H12, what's up? How are we doing tonight? Yes. Yes. Clearly, we're excited to be here. I am so pumped to be here to speak with y'all. If it's your first time here, I just want to say welcome. I know you've been welcome, but you are not a guest. You are part of our family now. We want to see you here more. Before we go any further, let me pray for us, all right? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and meet with you um, tonight. Lord, I know we come in here um, holding all sorts of different um, stresses and worries and anxieties, God. And we come in here with different things on our minds. But Lord Jesus, I pray you melt that all away. And Lord, I pray that tonight we would encounter you in a mighty way. And Lord, that when we walk out of this room, we would not walk out the same as when we entered. And this is only possible by your power, Jesus. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. All right. So before we go any further, I just have to acknowledge something. My hair. See, as uh, for those of you that know me or, or have been around me before, you can tell that I've chopped most of my hair off. But for those of you that don't know me or if this is your first time here, um, I think I, I, brought a, I brought a little picture of what, there we go. That's what I used to look like, pre-haircut Mike. That's long hair Mike, tall, dark, and handsome, and just looking all good. And this is post-haircut Mike. I've been told I resemble Matt Damon, and I'm not sure, but uh, I'll take it. And they zoomed in a little bit for you because, you see, while I had been looking forward to uh, getting my hair cut for a while, it had an unforeseen consequence. Now, if you, uh, if you check out the uh, upper forehead region of uh, my, my face, you'll see that uh, my forehead is very pale. And <laughs> while I was looking forward to getting my hair cut for a while, I was not expecting the pale forehead. And see, this was an unforeseen consequence. And tonight, we're in week four of our series, Camouflage, in which we've been talking about things that are unseen. And essentially, essentially if you haven't been with us um, these past few weeks, we've established that Jesus cares about your heart. Jesus cares about the unseen things that are between just you and him. But tonight, we're going to talk about an unseen thing that can really take us out. So... Go ahead and grab your Bibles if you haven't already. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, page 971. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath your chair. And while you're uh, turning there, let me talk to you. See, in, um, in America, murder is considered a bad idea. Like, murder is kind of frowned upon. Like, it, it's, it's very, okay, it's very frowned upon. But you see, while we condemn those who murder, we... we this thing that we're about to talk about kills us emotionally, it takes us out mentally, it dismantles us spiritually, and it even clouds the way we enjoy life. And it's in Matthew chapter 6, page 971, if you're not there, and we're going to interrupt the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' longest recorded sermon, and we're going to record, uh, uh, interrupt it in verse 25. So here we go. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Pause. Before we go any further, I think, I think we need to consider how seemingly absurd this statement is by Jesus at first. I mean, do not worry. Like, we all worry at times. I mean, we worry about what people think about us. We worry if people even think of us at all. We worry about how our bodies look. We worry if we're going to be too big or we worry if we're too small. We worry about our pale skin for the summer. If you're me, your pale forehead. Uh, we worry about the number of likes we get on Instagram. We worry about the number of followers we have on Twitter. We worry about school. 
We worry if we're going to get an A in that class. We worry if we're even going to pass that class. We worry if we're going to make it to the next grade. We worry if we're going to make it to college. And if we do make it to college, we worry about which one to choose and what to major in. We worry about pleasing all our friends. We worry about simply having a friend to please. We worry about our sick family members. We worry about our struggling friends. We worry if we'll be alone forever. We worry about our dark past. We worry about our unknown future. I mean, if we're honest, the truth is we worry, don't we? I mean, can we just do a quick group confession? The confession is healthy. If you have ever worried about something, simply just raise your hand right now. See, I want you all to look around. See, some of y'all are worried that other people will see that you worry, so you just put your hands down. See, we all worry occasionally. So when Jesus says, do not worry about your life, all of our ears should perk up. And just to help us out with this idea of worry, I, I uh, looked up the definition, and I think they're going to throw it up on the screen for us. It's defined like this, worry, give way to anxiety or unease, allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. And since worry and anxiety are so uh, intertwined, I looked that up as well, and anxiety says a feeling of nervousness or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. You see, I think it's critical to point out that worry and anxiety are caught up in uncertainty, but friends, I'm here to tell you tonight that where we feel uncertain, God is certain. And so we can, it's from this frame of thought that we can jump back in and, and appreciate Jesus' words more. So in verse 25, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Okay, wait, pause one more time. The thing, about, the thing about this statement is that when Jesus says, do not worry, it's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. You see, when Jesus says, do not worry, it's as much a commandment as do not murder. See, we condemn those who murder, but we tolerate something that's killing us emotionally, mentally, and even spiritually. See, you catch that? We tolerate worry like it's okay, but to Jesus, it's not. You see, um, before we go further in this conversation, I just want you to hear my heart on this. I am not up here on a high horse. I am not up here condemning you for what you worry about, um, whether you worry about something as serious as where your next meal on the table is going to come from or something as trivial as a pale forehead. That's not the point. The point is to be full of worry is not the way God designed us. See, worry is not in my God-given DNA. Instead, worry is a cancer that destroys my God-given DNA. And see, worry is a masterful tool of the enemy to distract us from God. And we see this if we go back through and, and read verse 25 all the way through this time. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? You know what I notice is in common with food and drink and clothes? They're all seen. They're all earthly. They're all physical things. They're all downward. And in fact, I put it in your notes like this. I think they throw it up on the screen. Downward dwelling leads to earthly panic. Downward dwelling, meaning when I'm so caught up in the, in, the, in the troubles and the chaos of this world and everything that's gone wrong and I, I can't get out of my head and I can't trust her, he can't trust me, uh, the, the pain is too deep, the hurt is too real. When we just dwell on these things that have gone wrong over and over and over again, worry will always seep its way in and it looks kind of like this. Check out this video. But what would I wear?
It's not a dress, it's a kilt! Sicko! Stupid. Ugly. Out of date! This is ridiculous. If I can't find something nice to wear, I'm not going! That's it, I'm not going. Love it, love the, love the Grinch. Um, you see, the mean old nasty Grinch finally got invited to come down to a party down in Whoville. But he is so caught up and worried with how he looks, with what people think of him, with what to wear, that he decides not to go. You see, the Grinch misses the party because he's wallowing in worry. And while it's easy to see this in the Grinch, it's another thing entirely to be honest with ourselves and admit that we're missing the full life God has for us because we're stuck wallowing in worry. And Jesus is pointing this out in the Sermon on the Mount. And check this out in verse 26. Look, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So Jesus takes the example of the birds, and he says, look, they're not worried. They don't store away food, and yet they eat every day. Are you not much more valuable than a bird? Essentially, Mike translation, you're worth more than a parrot. To God, you're worth more than a parrot. Remember that tonight. And when we dwell on the world, we wallow in worry, and we miss how much God cares for us. John 10, 10 says, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. See, Jesus doesn't just want us to have life. He wants us to have full life. And when we worry, we miss this. Jesus points this out in verse 27. He says, can any, any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? See, worry doesn't add anything from our lives, but it takes every joy. And when we dwell on this world, we quickly fall to worry. But Jesus keeps going. Verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. You see, God takes care of the bird, he, birds. He takes care of the grass. He is going to take care of us. But when all we focus on is what to wear and how cool we look, when our mind dwells on the things of this world, of this world, we panic and worry. All right, picture it like this. Who in here loves to fly? Like in an airplane loves to fly. I personally love to fly. I know some of y'all probably hate it. I mean, but like, honestly, what's better than zooming through a confined pressurized tube at 30,000 feet for 500 miles per hour with nothing but a bag of peanuts and strangers? I mean, there's nothing better than that. Come on. It's amazing. But honestly, though, when I fly, I particularly enjoy the window seat because I love to stare out the window. And, and as the plane goes off, you feel the acceleration. And, and then you look out the window and you see, like, the trees and the, and the city and everything below just become like little ants. They become dots. And slowly you uh, ascend into the sky and you rise above the cloud line. And if you're kind of dumb like me, the first thing you do is look at the sun and you, like, blind yourself for the first <laughs> 10 minutes, for the next 10 minutes. And you're just like, why did I do that? And then... 
And then uh, the, you hear this little ding, and the seatbelt sign goes off, and the uh, dude that sounds like he just woke up from a nap is like, this is your captain speaking. Uh, we have reached our cruising altitude of 30,000 feet, but I barely hear him because I'm so like entranced by my window and everything that's rushing by. I don't know which way it rushes, but it goes one way or the other. And like, it's just so relaxing because I, I just look out, and I see like the big puffy white clouds, and I see the blue expanse of the sky and the sun that I'm not really trying to look at. And it's just so calm and it's peaceful. But then, even though every part of me wants to stay up there where it's relaxing and calm, every flight eventually comes to an end and you start to feel it descend. And as you dip below the clouds, uh, an entirely different scene is playing out. Cars are zooming every which way. Train horns are blaring. Dogs are barking. People are moving all about. It's crazy. It's chaotic. You see, above the clouds, it's peaceful. But below them, it's pandemonium. And this is where most of us get caught up, below the clouds. Because when we dwell on the things of this earth, we cannot stay above the clouds. See, a lot of us like to think that all we've got is here and now. All we've got is this life. And, and if this is all we've got, then I better work my hardest to make sure it's awesome. If this is as close to heaven as I'm ever going to get, then I got to work for it. But this couldn't be farther from the truth. There's another world. Jesus tells us that there is a spiritual world and that through him, we can experience the fullness of life for eternity. But when we get so caught up in worry and in the things of this earth, we miss this. We begin to worry, and worry clouds us from the peace of God. Worry steals every bit of joy. Worry, worry steals every bit of peace and every bit of love that we have. We let worry rob us of all good things because we live like this is the only world that matters. But what if there's a better way to live? What if we don't have to get caught up and worry. Well, I believe there is. Let me give it to you. I put it in your notes, short and sweet like this. Upward dwelling leads to heavenly peace. Upward dwelling leads to heavenly peace. If we would live with the perspective that God is bigger than any trial, than any problem that we're facing, that God has given me exactly what I need when I need it, and that if we remember who we are in God's eyes and who God is, then we could find peace. See, just Jesus equals perfect peace. Just Jesus equals perfect peace. And this is exactly what, uh, what Jesus is, is going towards in the Sermon on the Mount. Jump back in, in verse 31. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? He's saying, look, don't dwell, don't dwell downward. Don't, don't dwell on this world. When you do that, you'll start to worry. You'll start to panic. Keep going. Verse 32. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He says, look, people who live only for the world, people who are living only for what is seen, the pagans, they're the worried people. They're worried because this is as close to heaven as they're ever going to get. This couldn't be farther from the truth. Again, look, some of you in here tonight, you believe that God kind of just created the world and is just kind of watching it spin, and he's not really actively involved. And maybe some of you in here tonight are 
Um, not sure what you believe about God. And you, you know, if there is a God, he's certainly not involved with my small, insignificant life. But, but friends, I'm here to tell you this could not be further from the truth. Our God is actively involved with even the most intimate parts of our lives. The Bible says that, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that he knit us together, that we are his masterpiece. See, the God who created you is certainly and actively involved with your life. He, he is working for the good of, of you in everything that he does. And in fact, there's, the Bible screams this. Let me just give you a few verses. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. James 1, 16 and 17. Don't be deceived, my dear brother. Brothers, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly, heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Hebrews 12.10. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness over and over and over again. The Bible promises that God is not only loves us, but that he is actively involved with our lives and that he is working for the good of those who love him. And remembrance of who God is and how he actively loves us is where we find peace. And this, this is what Jesus is saying, verse 33. This is how we remember who we are and who God is. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And those are, those are your uh, last blanks here. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. See, those are both unseen. They're both sort of ab above the clouds. Only you know if you're pursuing these things, but they're both incredibly important. See, seek first his king kingdom, meaning you're not building wealth here. The Bible, the Bible says you're a traveler. You're but a foreigner in this place. In another place, it says our citizenship is in heaven. See, we don't belong here permanently. This is not our final home. We, we do belong to the kingdom of God as followers of Jesus. And listen, while we're on the topic Every day we either bring a little bit of the kingdom or we don't. Listen, every time we talk, we bring a little bit of kingdom of heaven or we bring a little bit of hell. Every time we talk. Think about it. Every conversation with every person, we bring a little bit of kingdom of heaven, of peace, or a little bit of hell, of worry, of panic, the kingdom of the earth. And if we want the kingdom of heaven to come down to the kingdom of earth, we have to keep the perspective that God is bigger than anything we're facing. In fact, Jesus does this for us. Jesus carried the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of earth. And when he prays, we just went over the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus prays, Father, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. Look, we are God's plan A for carrying the kingdom of heaven here, and there is no plan B. It is on us to do this. Seek first his kingdom, and then we seek first his righteousness. And this, this doesn't mean we try to do the right things. We try to think the right thoughts, say the right stuff, help, you know, help an old lady cross the street. This is not what this is about. This is about seeking a relationship that's rightly related to God. And this is only found through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. This is, this is the free gift of salvation. And as Jesus enters our life, he begins to change us from the inside out. He changes our unseen heart. And we become like his righteousness. So how, how do we do this practically? 
How do we practically kind of stay above the clouds, kind of dwell upward? Well, I'm going to tell you one last story as we, uh, you know, our time's running out here. Um, has anybody ever had one of those moments where you felt like God just gave you a Bible verse? Like, of course, he's given us the whole Bible, but like in that moment, you're reading and you're reading and it just kind of jumps off the page at you, even if you've read it like a hundred times before. Well, this happened to me back in eighth grade. And in eighth grade, there's this thing called the writing test. Um, see, some of y'all are familiar with the writing test, but for those of you that aren't, maybe you didn't grow up around here in Gwinnett County, all eighth graders are required to take the standardized test called the writing test to move on to ninth grade. And y'all, they make it the biggest deal. Like from the moment you walk in to school that, for, that first day in August, they're like forcing it down your throat. Your teacher's like, pass the writing test. You will not pass out of my class alive. And I'm just like, chill out, okay? I just got here. Like I don't know what's going on. And, and, and while it's easy to look back on the writing test as a high schooler and be like, it really wasn't that big a deal. In the moment, in the moment, it feels like life and death. And so this is me. The night, the night before the test, I am freaking out. Like, my mind is racing a 1,000 miles a minute. I'm like, if I don't pass the writing test, I won't go to ninth grade. If I don't go to ninth grade, I won't go to high school. If I don't go to high school, I won't get, go to college. If I don't go to college, I won't get a job. If I don't get a job, I won't get a wife. If I don't get a wife, I'll live in a box on the side of the street. And, and then, and then, and then I'm, I'm getting kind of sweaty, and, and it's, it's bad. My blood sugars are all over the place because I'm diabetic, and I'm just like, I just like can't. Like, I, I hope, I honestly hope to God no one saw me in that moment because it must have been an ugly sight. I promise you that. But then amidst, amongst all the chaos, all, all, all the stress, I heard God whisper, Mike, open your Bible. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, it's kind of weird, but all right, I'll open my Bible. And so, look, I, I, I didn't have a passage picked out. I didn't have a, a certain book in mind. I just opened the Bible, and I kid you not, this is what I read. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, that is the power of upward dwelling. Yeah, you can clap. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. See, upward dwelling is when we're so caught up in Jesus that that when worry and panic begin to set in, we pray. You see, just like that verse that, uh, that Jesus uh, kind of slapped me in the face with back in eighth grade, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, not when we feel like it, not when we remember, not when it's convenient, but the moment worry and panic begin to set in, the moment we can't see God's plan, we pray. See, instead of allowing worry and panic to take you out, allow worry and panic to take you to God. Thank you. <laughs> and as the, as, the, as the band comes up, um, I'm going to close this out. And while we're kind of on the topic of the Bible, I'm going to go off script here for a second, if that's okay with you. I'm going to say something that's just near and dear to my heart. I truly believe the Bible is the Word of God. And I, we, we do believe here that... that when you read the Bible, just like me back in eighth grade, you will find peace. Not in the Bible. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the one who wrote the Bible. And so if you're new around here, you don't know much about it. The Bible is written over a span of about 1,500 years, about 40 different authors. It contains about 66 books. It's split in half, almost, or about, about third, two-thirds and one-third, the Old Testament and New Testament. It never contradicts itself once. It always supports itself. 
And it always points to Jesus. And what's so cool is that in the New Testament, we get these four little books called the Gospels. And the Gospels record the life of Jesus. And while the, while the Bible contains a lot, of, a lot of wisdom and a lot of truth, Jesus preaches every, Jesus practices everything the Bible preaches. And so when I say to you, pray, it's, it's, it's not just me making that up. It's something that I've seen Jesus do. And so I'm going to tell you about my, one of my favorite instances where we see Jesus praying. You see, if you had less than 24 hours to live, like if you woke up tomorrow morning, didn't feel right, went to the doctor, and they said to you, look, you've got less than 24 hours to live, how would you spend your time? It's kind of a morbid thought. It's kind of scary. We'd all answer that question differently. But you know where we find Jesus the night before he's going to sacrifice his life on the cross? In prayer. We find him in prayer. And what's so amazing is that Jesus is, he is God. He is, he is God in human flesh, the God man, the, the, the perfect and spotless lamb of God. And he is about to give his life for this wicked, deplorable sinner. So that wicked, deplorable sinner could move to righteousness, to right standing with God. And before all this goes down, the night before all this goes down, we find Jesus in prayer. And what's more amazing is not just the fact that he's in prayer, it's what he prays for. Look, the Bible, the Bible says he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's literally sweating drops of blood. He is feeling the weight of the sin of every man, woman, and child for all of eternity on his chest in one moment. Can you imagine how that would feel? I mean, how, how terrible we feel after we do one thing wrong. And Jesus felt this time seven billion times eternity. In it, on his chest in one moment. And Jesus sits there and he prays, Father, not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus doesn't avoid the cross. And if worry and anxiety are caught up in uncertainty, I am certain that Jesus felt neither towards you when he hung on that cross. The cross is the ultimate expression, the ultimate expression of Jesus' certain love for you. And I don't know what brought you in here tonight. I don't know where you come from. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you've said. But I am certain, I am certain that God wants you back. I am certain that Jesus was certain when he died for you. Jesus is madly and ferociously in love with you. And there is nothing you can do to escape his love. You can ignore it all you want, but you cannot escape it. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your efforts. He doesn't want, he doesn't want you, to, you to try to be good. He just wants a full relationship with you. And a full relationship with Jesus starts with a full surrender. That's the gospel, friends. That is the good news. That's the truth that there's nothing we can do to earn his love or merit his forgiveness. Rather, they're both freely given as the gift of grace. They're both freely found in Jesus, Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. And it's when we remember who we are in God's eyes and what he has done for us, it's there that we find peace. So if y'all would, please bow your heads and pray with me. I want to pray for two groups of people in here tonight. 
first group of people I want to pray for is uh, those of us who just come in here, we're, we're wallowing in worry. Um, I don't know what it is you're worrying about, whether it be worrying about a relationship or college or sports or money, clothes, appearances. I'm not sure, but if we're honest with ourselves, this thing has been consuming us and, and we're missing out on the full life God has for us because of it. So if that's you and you say you just came in here worrying about something, just slip your hand up right now. Just, just let me, I'm, I'm just going to pray for you. Just keep your hand up. And, and, and just to say, here I am, God. I've been caught up in worry. I've been caught up in anxiety. But I'm here now. I'm here now and I trust you. Keep your hand up as I pray for you, friends. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for every heart that's in this room. Thank you, Lord, for every, um, every student that would be so bold as to raise their hand right now. Lord, I know that you are intimately involved with their life. I know, Jesus, that you are working all things for their good and that you want to take the worry away. So, God, do that right now. We release the worry, we release the anxiety, and we say we trust you. We love you, and we know you love us. You can go ahead and put your hand down. Now, we're still in a moment of prayer with everybody's heads down. The second group of people I want to pray for tonight is those of you who've never um, accepted Jesus before. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while. Maybe this is your first night here. I don't know where you stand. I don't know what brought you in here, but I know God is certainly in love with you. So if you're sitting in here tonight, you say that you've never fully surrendered to Jesus, and you say that you want to. Look, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to understand everything about God. Look, friends, none of us do. That's why we're here. But something inside of you yearns for the love and life found in Jesus. Like if this is you, then the Bible says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and you will be saved. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up right now for me as well? Thank you. Yes, and, and since your hand's already up, if you just look at me, you can just look at me. I just want to, you're, you're known, sister. I see you. I see you. Thank you. So pray this, pray this with me. Dear Jesus, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I acknowledge I've messed up, but I acknowledge your love covers my mess ups. I, love, I acknowledge that, that, that your love is greater than anything I've done wrong. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you. Thank you that no matter what I do or where I go, you are madly in love with me. Your forgiveness is real, and God, I just invite you into my heart right now. And Holy Spirit, it's in, it's in your name we pray all these things. Amen.